We are back and in this hour, second hour of Ariva Martin in real time, we're talking about a stunning development in the federal bribery trial involving former LA City Council member Mark Ridley Thomas. And joining me in this hour is Mansfield Collins. He is a federal criminal defense attorney, and Dion Raymond, she is KBLA's justice correspondent. All right, uh, Dion, stunning development in Mark Ridley Thomas's uh, case happened yesterday. What happened and what is the significance of it? What happened was is that the judge um, in this matter, Judge Dale Fisher, she signed the order granting um, the defense's motion for um, bond um, so that Mark Ridley Thomas would stay out of out of prison during um, his appeal. Um, as we know, he was um, uh, ordered after his sentencing to um, to surrender in November. And so now he will not have to surrender. And so the defense brought this motion. And what was a surprise um, for all of us is that the government stipulated to it. And so the judge could have still held the, the hearing on the motion on um, October 30th, but she signed the order. And, and so that's where we are now. And so this means a uh, typical uh, federal criminal appeal, Mansfield, are we talking a year, two years, that Mark Ruey Thomas will definitely not be incarcerated? Uh, Ariva, that's what's interesting about this, uh, this particular stipulation and order that was signed. Uh, in a normal situation, when you have an appeal, it can take one to two years. In this stipulation, both sides agree to basically fast track the appeal process. In the motion to appeal um, and in the uh, motion for bail and in the stipulation, the government and the defense attorneys agreed on a briefing schedule for the appellate process. So the last date for the appeals briefs to be filed by the government is probably around February of next year. So this is being fast-tracked. Normally, it's the Court of Appeals. It's the district court, the circuit court, that would tell the parties when briefing is supposed to start and who files the brief first and how much time the other party has to respond to it. But they stipulated to this up front. This is going to happen pretty quickly. So given the stipulation, Mansfield, given that Mark Ruey Thomas' team has to file their opening brief, uh, I believe it's by January, and the uh, prosecution has to respond by this February 2024 date, what is the likely time frame between February of 24 that we'll see an oral argument set by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals and then some decision made by that Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals? Well, that's a very good question. And if you look at the uh, the motion for uh, bail, the motion for bail is a preview of what the appellate issues are going to be. And boy, uh, we always thought that Mark Ridley's attorneys would have a lot of issues on appeal. Well, there are even more issues than we talked about. Uh, this is a, a case that could, in fact, on appeal, result in uh, some larger questions regarding whether or not honest services is constitutional or unconstitutional. This this appeal will it will entertain a lot of issues that will that could have the impact of being a leading case in this area in the future. And for that reason, it could take a while. It could take a year, year and a half. The parties don't believe that it will, but the the circuit, the district, the court of appeals may look at this and say, it's about time for us to get seek some clarification. This honest services has been confusing to 
criminal defense attorneys and prosecutors for a long time. Maybe this is the right case where we can actually now say, this is what it is. This isn't what it is in Mark Ridley Thomas's case. Mark Ridley Thomas is going to win this case on appeal. Wow. Uh, really? Uh, you know, Mansfield, wow. and, and I, when I read the motion that Mark Ridley Thomas's team filed, this was a motion to allow him to remain out on bail pending appeal. Uh, we know that typically prosecutors, when they've gotten a conviction, they want you appealing your case behind bars. Because I had a, right. a lot of people said, Dion, well, why is this so shocking? Uh, he's not a threat to anyone. He's not going to, you know, abscond to, you know, Venezuela somewhere. So wouldn't it be automatic that he would have been allowed to remain out on bail pending appeal? Help us understand why there was nothing automatic about that, despite the fact that Mark Ridley Thomas is definitely not a threat to anyone and was not likely to leave the country. I mean... Well, go, go ahead. right ahead, Dion. Well, well, and 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 what? Normally, you know, they they've got nothing to lose, right? Why should they agree to it? They've gotten the conviction. Of course, they want someone to serve their time and and to begin. And so that's just really how it goes. This case is is very interesting because it seems like um, a, a no brainer because he's not a flight risk because he has such goodwill in the community because he's been a member of the community where he serves for so long. And in fact, he had, what, 130 letters. And it should be a no-brainer. And I think it it he it should not be an aberration under circumstances like this that it's a no-brainer. And I think one of the reasons it's a no-brainer is because the the, the government chose to indict him and, and prosecute him on um, a, a set of unique facts, given, um, given that it's a charge for bribery, and conspiracy and honest services fraud. They are very unique facts. And his um, his lawyers have said consistently that it has been a unique application of the law. Yeah, Mansfield, I had the same impression you had. When I read that motion, I was like, this is a slam dunk. And it. I think the, my other visceral response was, if it's so clear, how come the judge missed this. This is a Harvard trained, super experienced judge sat on the state court, sat in the state court of LA Superior Courts, now on the federal court. This is she's in her 70s. So she's a very seasoned, experienced litigator and jurist. And the way the issues, as you said, more than what we've even discussed, and we're going to get into some of those issues that we didn't discuss, how did this judge miss it? it? It just seemed so clear on his face that I was, you know, challenging myself to be critical to make sure I wasn't biased in my reading, but I read it a couple of times and it still was very persuasive. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, Ariva. And, you know, thank goodness that we, our system of justice does have courts of appeals. And then we have those courts of appeals because judges do make mistakes. And if we didn't have the Coast Courts of Appeals, imagine this decision, this bad, erroneous decision would stand. So why did she make bad decisions? Well, you know, I, I have said that this was a conviction in search of a crime. I never believed that they established the elements of any crime that he was charged with. So how is it that someone could convict somebody? Well, then you look at institutional racism and you look at institutional biases and prejudices. 
And I think that that was definitely involved in Mark Ridley Thomas's case. It came out during the sentencing when the judge made references off the cuff to Sebastian that had no place, it, you know, had no right or place during the sentencing to even be, be raised. So I would just say that uh, she just missed the, um, the, 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 the test of being fair in holding the trial against Mark Ridley Thomas. She made a lot of uh, bad decisions, ruling on motions. And yes, she's very smart. But I think that smart people can be biased, and sometimes they don't even realize the level and, and the depth of their biases. No, <laughs> excellent point. Smart people can be biased, and sometimes smart people can just do dumb things. Let's just keep it real, right? So yeah, go ahead, Di, jump true. in. And, and, and sometimes people's biases are unchecked, Ariva. This case has put a spotlight, perhaps, on a judge where maybe she's not accustomed. I mean, I know she's had other high-profile cases. However, uh, she was really with the prosecution, with the government all the way. And when you ask, you know, how did she miss it? Well, maybe she didn't miss it, but maybe she has been looking through the through the lens of bias. But also importantly, Ariva, is that this highlights the bias that has been involved in this case from the FBI investigation, uh, the indictment, the way that this case has been prosecuted, just the inflammatory language that has been used throughout the trial and at sentencing, and even the way that Marilyn Flynn was converted from a a co-defendant to a victim. And so mm -hmm. it's really emblematic, I believe, of a theme that is um, that has been just occurring throughout this uh, this whole case. Yeah, no, and we talked a lot about that implicit bias and how African-American prosecutors, which were involved in this case, a Latino uh, U.S. attorney sitting in that office, uh, how even people of color, can be biased and how the institution is what we should be looking at, not the individuals, because a lot of people, Mansfield, you know, were saying quick, oh, no, this is a black prosecutor. This is a Latino, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, USA, uh, you know, assistant U.S. attorney. And, and we spent a lot of time talking about institutional bias, systemic biases in our criminal justice system that oftentimes are perpetuated even by prosecutors and jurists of color. Uh, so just because someone is of color doesn't mean that they're not a part of a system uh, that can, you know, at, at any given moment, you know, prove itself to be biased. Let's talk a bit, Mansfield, though, about some of those causes of, of arguments, I should say, that were raised in the defense's motion. That Again, that was the motion to remain out on bail pending appeal. Uh, I'll tell you one that caught me by surprise that I wasn't necessarily expecting, and that was the Batson uh, argument that's made in the motion. Tell us what that is about. You know, that's a legalese term, but for those folks who don't know what a Batson, uh, you know, motion is, talk, walk us through that. Well, uh, prosecutors have a, um, a history and a pattern of excluding Black women jurors from juries, whether it's in a state case or in a federal case. And, and, and historically, they believe that a black juror who is a mother, a sister, a wife, a grandmother, has a cl too close of a bond to be fair in deciding high profile or low profile uh, cases against black criminal defendants. And that is just wrong. That is just wrong because the opposite would be so white female jurors have a better chance of being fair to hear all of the evidence without their biases. And so the Batson motion were our motions to um, to ask the judge 
stop allowing the prosecution to dismiss black female jurors. And the only two black female jurors in this case were dismissed by the prosecution. And it's my belief that if any black woman had been on that jury, that this 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 conviction would not have come back. Uh, not because it was something that they would not understand. It's just that they would look at the totality of the circumstances and they would understand that just because an FBI agent is testifying doesn't mean that it's true. And so we, have, we all have biases. And yes, so that motion was, those motions were granted. So that gets back to your other point, Areva. Yes, she's a smart judge. She knows the history of prosecutors across the country not wanting black female jurors on juries, but nevertheless, she still allowed the government to, to, to dismiss the only two black female jurors that were involved in this case. Yeah, that's a big, substantial question on appeal, a big one. And Dion, from the beginning, you always uh, had concerns and doubts uh, about how the judge treated those black women uh, and the dismissal by the prosecution. So were you at all surprised to see the Batson issue with respect to those two black women in the motion filed by the defense team? Areva, not only was I not surprised, I was finally glad to, to <laughs> see it because that did not, uh, the Batson Wheeler did not take place in front of the public. And so, you know, we were asking, you know, what happened? We we knew that that it had to have happened. Areva, out of 12 people, there were two Latino men, two black men, five Latinas, two white women, and one Asian female. And the two women that were kicked, so it was half of the of the Black um, people who were prospective jurors, one was grilled about legacy admissions, a question that was asked by the judge. Uh, as um, the defense um, described in their, in their motion, open-ended questions for the Black jurors. And she was really, really grilled. This woman had two... BAs and was working on a master's degree. She said that she knew that Lake that the current practice was that legacy admissions were allowed, and but she didn't have any opinion about whether or not that they were fair. They did grill her. What really surprised me was juror number one, and I have I still have my notes from Wadir, and just really no notes about her at all. So when they kicked her, I was shocked and knew that something foul was afoot. Mm, because you're saying her responses were so appropriate, gave no sense of bias, gave no sense that she wasn't capable of serving and being unbiased and listening to the evidence and listening to the instructions by the judge and making an objective determination about guilt and or innocence. Uh, When we come forward, I want to continue with what some of those arguments are in the defense motion uh, that we perhaps didn't anticipate. Then we'll talk about mainstream media's continued a characterization of this case and how they seem to just be so upset about any uh, signs that the case is, is, you know, getting turned around in a way that many of us think it should be turned around. Uh, stay with us, KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back and Mansfield Collins and Dan Raymond are here and we're breaking down the uh, stunning development in the bribery trial of former LA City Council member Mark Ridley Thomas. Uh, this week, the prosecution stipulated that Mark Ridley Thomas uh, could would remain out on bail pending his appeal while setting a pretty aggressive uh, 
briefing schedule to move his appeal forward in an expedited way. Uh, I wanted to ask you real quickly, Dion. you know, again, a lot of suspicion around how this case even got this far. We're coming up on this one-year anniversary of the leaked tapes from Nuri Martinez, former L.A. City Councilwoman, caught on tape making disparaging remarks about Mark Greeley Thomas and other African-American elected officials. There's always been some sense that the FBI uh, was aided with respect to this investigation, maybe maybe some folks in City Hall, maybe uh, some folks at USC, because we know there were uh, press releases that USC sent to local media that were printed without very much uh, revision or you know editorial input that you would expect. What, what are you thinking about how all of this might be together? And I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and obviously there's no <laughs> evidence, and we're all lawyers, so we deal in evidence and facts, but there's something kind of feels yucky to me about how all of this was happening as Mark Riley Thomas, you know, is back on the LA city council, butting heads with this powerful woman, Nuri Martinez, who wanted to be the mayor talks of Mark Riley Thomas wanting to be the mayor, Rick Caruso wanting to be the mayor. So it's all this stuff kind of swirling in the atmosphere. What do you make of it? Oh, you know, the saying, Ariva, just because um, you're paranoid doesn't mean that they're not out to get you. Or, or, or the, the, the statement about the, you know, the, the angry Black female trope, you know, yeah, it's a stereotype, but Black women often got, got reasons to be mad. I think that any reasonable person, Ariva, would be remiss to not even question it or raise it or, or analyze it. And um, you have them talking about Mark Ridley Thomas and and let the rest of the, the city council uh, handle him. And then you know, you've got the comment about, well, I talked to a buddy of mine who's a, a USA and I have one too, and everybody should have one of those. I mean, really? Yeah. You know, even if there's no conspiracy, it just shows that give, in spite of this man's pristine record of service, his lifetime service as a public servant, Ariva, um, even as the motion uh, noted, hasn't broken, you know, doesn't have a record of crime. And then just to, to denigrate him and, and, and try to take him down in conversation, this is your colleague. And it, it, it brings up one of my favorite subjects, the presumption of innocence that, that society really only pays lip service to. Mm -hmm. And so, and we don't even have to get as far as a conspiracy, really. We can just start with what I perceive as, as the director of a um, former director of an investigatory unit at a major university. What I think is was a shoddy investigation where the person in charge of it had already decided he was it was outcome oriented and that and the defense did a good job of bringing this out that when you already make a decision then then that will affect who you talk to and what right you, and I think the evidence bore that out no conspiracy theory needed yeah no uh, excellent point it bore it out because we know there were no county witnesses at all called by the prosecution because they didn't want to hear about how the county operates and how votes are taken and how contracts are given out and you know how much money is left on the contract and how you make those determinations. And in that motion that we've been talking about, those points are raised, Mansfield. And those are going to be important points that the government is going to have to answer to because essentially what this motion is saying is there was a whole lot of speculation going on and not a lot of direct testimony from the people who had knowledge about these contracts. So I'm going to follow with my not conspiracy, conspiracy theory, Mansfield. So city attorney <laughs> of LA, 
after all of this, you know, Mark Lee Thomas indicted, we know another city council member, African-American, current price, is facing uh, some charges that have been brought against him by state district attorney, district attorney for the county of Los Angeles, not the feds. And he's going to be in court, I think, October 13th or so uh, to answer to those charges. And I'm, I'm just watching and I'm happy about this. So this is not a, a negative statement, how the city attorney and how the now sitting president of the city council, Corcoran, are treating current price, not rushing to judgment, not suspending him, not suspending his pay. We didn't see that. The city attorney apparently had to be involved because the city council under Nuri Martinez made the decision to suspend him, cut his pay off. None of that would have happened without a legal brief opinion by the city attorney. So what do you make of the differences in the way current price is being treated now, much more so with the respect and with the presumption of innocence, innocence that Dion talked about versus Mark Ridley Thomas, where they move like, you know, within 24, 48 hours, suspend him, cut his pay, uh, and then argue about it in court, make legitimate, I mean, make arguments, try to legitimize the decision making that, you know, they engaged in. It just shows, uh, Eriva, that Mark, really, Thomas, um, was not treated fairly. He was not treated with due process. And that is why uh, a judge basically told the city council and the city attorney uh, that uh, you could not suspend, you could suspend him, but you could not take away his pay. He could, he could, he could resign from certain committees. It's doubtful even whether or not he had to step down from all of his official duties. But that's the kind of man that he is. And that's what that's what we should look at. That's what Mark Ridley Thomas did. He says, okay, I don't want to create all of this drama for my constituents. What I'll do is I'll just, I'll sit down, but I'll still be the councilman representing them, but I won't be as active as I was before. But then for the city council to take away his pay when there's a presumption of innocence, no, it was an unconstitutional act by the city council. And it just shows again that you know, different uh, individuals within the system are treated differently, and probably it's a result of someone being a bigger threat to their power or to their prestige. Yes. And you couldn't have had a a more um, a more a more unique individual than Mark Ridley Thomas. And in, in over thirty years of service, he has served in every single elected position in the state of California, except for senator or governor. And when you look at his record of accomplishments, it's hard to see anyone in the United States, a black leader anywhere in the United States that has a better record of accomplishment. But that kind of accomplishment creates fear. Yes. And it creates a fear that he, he's become too powerful. Mm. And I think that that's really what this case was about. Uh, a black man became too powerful and we have to show him that I hate to use the you know, stereotype, keep him in his place. But we've come a long ways. But then again, we haven't gone come very far. Yeah, the civil rights in this country. So uh, I think that was obviously a target on his back. Yeah, no, I think yes. you're right. There was a target mm -hmm. on his back, and it was revealed in those tapes uh, by those Latino leaders who, you know, disgrace leaders who uh, showed us who they are uh, in those tapes. Dion, the LA Times, they don't want to believe that there could be something nefarious that the FBI agent, even after the judge said, give a special instruction because he lied, they don't want to believe that. So 
in an article written before the stipulation, well, Mark Riley Thomas has filed this motion, but you know, it's a long shot, not likely to go anywhere. Uh, is this just business as usual when mainstream media decides about a narrative that they're going to stick with that narrative no matter what, even as the ground is moving and shifting underneath them. And it's clear, anybody that has any legal background that read that motion, you'd have to, I, I would have thought they'd written a whole different article about, oh my God, maybe there were some things that were missed in this case that we need to pay attention to because this is about due process. That wasn't the article. As my mother often says, that's my story and I'm sticking to it and they're sticking to it. And it's part of our, it's, but, but it's also a, a same old repeated song that's part of our of, of Black history and struggle that you just have to fight, 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 fight until folks just get to that point where they are willing to just relent. And I can't say enough, and I've talked to other criminal defense attorneys and I know Mansfield, you would agree with this. The government isn't giving up anything. If they've gotten a conviction in a case where they've you know, invested all their resources and time, they are not likely to make concessions unless they believe they have to. So even the stipulation to not fight the motion to remain out pending bail uh, is, is a stip it is a concession of sorts. Now, I'm not saying it's a concession that their whole case was bogus or that Mark Riley Thomas is going to win on appeal, but it does send a message that we better bear down and put all our resources towards this appeal because we might get stung uh, by the Ninth Circuit, not to mention Mark Riley Thomas has assembled just a stellar appellate team, including a former Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals judge and one of the preeminent legal scholars in this state, uh, dean of you know the uh, law school at Berkeley. So a lot going on in this case. When we come forward, I want to talk about just briefly, Robert Menendez and, and what that case is telling us about federal prosecutions. Uh, stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. So Mansfield, uh, New Jersey Senator Robert Menendez and his wife, Nadine Menendez, they both have been accused of accepting hundreds of thousands of dollars in bribes in exchange for the senator's influence. Uh, allegedly, uh, Gold bars and $500,000 in cash uh, were found in the senator's home. Uh, there's now some issue about a, a Mercedes Benz that cost $60,000 that was allegedly bought for uh, the senator's wife as a part of this bribery scheme. So when you hear these charges, particularly because Menendez, this is not his first rodeo, he was previously charged by the feds, went to trial, there's a hung jury. Your inclination is to assume, oh my God, this is horrible. Of uh, calls for him to resign. He has resisted those. But how should we, in light of what we just went through with Mark Riley Thomas's trial, learning that it was a shoddy investigation, that there was an FBI agent that didn't really review records that he said he reviewed, uh, that gave misstatements under oath, how should we look at cases like Robert Menendez? Is there something different about this case? Or I'm just trying to make sure that folks have a good understanding about when they see these cases brought by the federal government and they look to be, oh my God, horrible. What should we be looking for? We should be looking for the, the presentation of evidence in court to prove the allegations that are set forth in an indictment or a complaint against someone. And we don't know whether or not they're true or false until the evidence comes out in court 
But in Mark Ridley's case, even though evidence came out in court, he was still wrongfully convicted. But yes, what Menendez means to for me is that before Mark Ridley Thomas was charged and after Rid Mark Ridley Thomas's conviction, an unjust conviction, there is not a single case throughout the entire United States criminal justice federal system that has facts anywhere close to the facts that were used to convict Mark Ridley Thomas. And the principle of that, that that draws for me is that this case should have never been filed. There was no precedent for it. And it was a misuse of legal precedent that didn't apply to the facts of this case. And those are some of the questions that are being raised in the appeal. But yes, we like to think that we could jump and say, oh, Menendez, he must be guilty, especially when we compare his charges to the charges that Mark really had. But we can't do that. Everybody deserves their day in court, and we hope that it works. It didn't work for Mark Ridley Thomas. Maybe it'll work for Menendez. Maybe it won't. But he he's entitled to the presumption of innocence, and everyone is. And everyone is entitled to that presumption. Yeah, it's interesting, Dion, because at least in the Menendez case, the things that you think of commonly, right, when you think of bribe, bribery charges, uh, according to the prosecutors or according to the reports we're getting, they are there, right? Money stuffed in pockets and suits, gold bars, uh, text messages between the wife, like, you know, get me that car or you know, all kinds of other text messages. So those are the kinds of uh, pieces of evidence, right, that you would expect in a bribery case. But even in that case, uh, Mansfield is saying, don't rush to judgment. Because Menendez is saying he's going to be exonerated. You know, he he is saying, I'm not resigning from my Senate seat, and nor will I plead. He's already, he and his wife were in court, and they pled not guilty. We know that's, you know, that's a legal, uh, you know, that just starts the legal process, doesn't necessarily mean that he won't later take a plea or anything. But what do you make of, of this case? Because I think people were expecting to see some of these things in, in Mark Riley Thomas's case. Like, they were asking, where's the money? Was there money in his house? Was there, you know, something else that would have made them feel like, yeah, th this is a good old fashioned bribery case? Yeah, I, I just want to um, first say, you know, $500,000 cash stuffed in pockets in your home, gold bars, uh, you know, allegedly using his position on the, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee to to um, benefit another government. I just want to say it looks bad. It sounds bad. Just the way mainstream media portrayed the Mark Ridley Thomas corruption case, you would, you would, you know, read about it and think, oh, this is bad. But I wholly agree with, um, with Mansfield. And I think any criminal defense attorney in particular would agree when you practice criminal defense law, you learn things are not always as they appear. And yet we have mainstream media that is affecting the consciousness of people who become jurors. Yeah. Now, in the case of Mark Ridley Thomas, again, we have a unique set of facts and a unique application of that law. We're talking about $100,000 that, that did not benefit Mark Ridley Thomas or his son, but was to pay for a staff member to mm -hmm. conduct a poll on African-American voting. I have a note here to mention, representing the issues of Black people is not popular. And Mark Ridley Thomas has been very successful in that regard. You know, not, I mean, all of his constituents, but issues that really affect Black people. And he has used his intelligence and his education and his position to do that. And in 2023, that is not popular. It is still perceived as a threat. 
Yeah, it's so interesting because, you know, the, the sensationalized evidence that we've heard about in the Menendez case, the gold bars, the cash, in Mark Riley Thomas's case, there was also a very sens sensationalized fact, and that was the lie about an $8 million contract. So when you think back to how we first learned of the indictment and the articles that were written, talked about him exchanging Entering into this conspiracy, I'll give you an $8 million contract from the County of Los Angeles, Marilyn Flynn, Dean at the Social Work School at USC. And in exchange for that big, whopping $8 million contract, you give my son, Sebastian Ridley Thomas, a job. You give him a scholarship uh, so he can attend a master's program at your school of social work. And that became what people parroted. That was the narrative. Oh my God. He gave them an $8 million contract. And then lo and behold, when the case gets outside of the court of public opinion, and actually there is a courtroom trial that is conducted, there was no $8 million contract. And there was not even an attempt to introduce evidence. And how do you unring that bell, Mariva? How do you unring that bell? You can't. A lot of people to this day that I talked to about this case still talk about the son. They think the job, the son went to work. They think he got the scholarship. None of that happened. He could get that scholarship. He's not a, uh, you know, a scholarship recipient that used scholarship dollars at USC. And there was never any $8 million contract in Mansfield. That, that's a big part of this motion that we know is going to be a big part of this appeal that the alleged contract may not have even had a dollar left at the time that it was being extended. And if it did have, it was at that 540 or whatever, 540,000 level. And all they were doing was extending the contract. But that is just a one example of how a fact gets twisted and spun and becomes the narrative. The truth comes out on your show, Ariva. But if you look at the uh, 5 o'clock news or the 6 p.m. news, they will still characterize this, mischaracterize this as he used $100,000 of unlawful campaign funds. Mm -hmm. That was never an issue in the case. But the, every time they mention Mark Ridley Thomas, they mischaracterize that. And like Dion said, you know, it's the rumor goes around the world two times before <laughs> the truth ever gets out the box. OK. And so, yes, yeah. they are socializing. They are indoctrinating and even intelligent people who don't have the time to dig into the facts. That's why your shows and shows like yours are so important. Yeah, um, they see the headline. Still, listen, they just see the headline. See the headline. See the headline. But, uh, you know uh, what I'm, I'm so excited about? I, I can't wait. Mark Riley Thomas is still in this matter, right? There's an appeal that's going to take place. May take a year, may take two years. Maybe it'll get expedited. Who knows? But I, I can't wait until he can speak his truths. Where he can sit yes. down with me, hopefully, Tavis Smiley, any number of journalists, uh, people who've been involved in this case, and tell us what it has been like to be able to, to be forced to sit back. Because we know Mark Riley Thomas uh, is used to using his platform and used to using the media to convey his narratives and his stories to tell about the work that he's done. Uh, but I can't wait to have an opportunity to hear him characterize how difficult it has had you know it's been i'm sure to have to sit on your hands mm -hmm. and not scream from the mountaintop all of the untruths 
that have been told about him and unfortunately even his son as a parent, Dion Mansfield. We know how difficult it is to hear people talk about your kids, that those are fighting words, right? Uh, but he's had to endure that, he and his wife, and they've done so with grace. They've done so with class, uh, with composure. And again, we're, we're going to celebrate this win. It, it's not the end of the case. Doesn't mean he's going to be exonerated or there's going to be a new trial, but th this is a positive turn of events, the fact that he will get to be home uh, for the holidays, be home with his family as he fights uh, to regain his name uh, and to converse this wrongful conviction. Thank you so much, Dion. Thank you, Mansfield. We are out of time. We can talk about these legal issues for hours. You guys are the best. Best lawyers in this town always. I'm a lot smart, smarter when I spend some time with you. Next voice that you hear will be Robin Ayers and the Raw Report right here on KBLA Talk 1580. Don't touch that dial.